Um, we're getting ready for our, uh, our summer series. It's going to be um, a new look at the old book. Uh, it's going to start in a couple weeks. We're going um, we to kind of go through some of the, the, some of the big stories of the Old Testament. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, those stories that you may have heard, you may have heard you know, a little bit of something about them. If you are familiar uh, with the Old Testament and some of the major stories of, of Israel, then I'm going to try and take a fresh, uh, a fresh approach and see if they can speak in, in a way we're maybe not used to. Um, so that'll, that'll start in a couple weeks. In the meantime, we're, um, we're just kind of sitting with uh, the Psalms for a little bit, just a couple weeks. Traditionally in, um, in Jewish and then in Christian uh, congregations, the Psalms were read every week. This is sort of uh, the, it's the hymn book of, of Israel and then the church. Uh, and, and so it's important for us not to lose sight of that. And so I wanted to make sure we spend a little time and then get a sense really for what worship looked like uh, for ancient peoples. And one of the reasons for that is because, as we saw last week, some of the, the ways that worship happens in the ancient world is really uncomfortable and weird for us. Uh, we, we look at it and we're like, wow, that just does not look like what we normally do. And, and I think and I believe because we've been away from the Psalms for so long and because we we're so distanced from them, we actually have lost uh, in the contemporary church some of the really powerful value of ancient forms of worship. So we're going to continue with that today. Uh, we're going to continue. We're going to, we're going to see um, probably, I'll tell you this, uh, the worship that takes place in this text, in this text uh, you will find in 0%, this is my personal guarantee, in 0% of the Christian churches in North America. So here we go. We're going we're to read this text, and I guarantee you this is the only church in all of North America that's reading this text today. And uh, not only that, um, it's it's we're, we're we're the only church who's who's going to take it seriously. Um, it is a little bit graphic, and it does get a little dark. Um, and I don't want you to be discouraged by that. I want uh, to I want us I want us to see actually how um, by by making texts like this a part of our worship, we are actually um, we're actually freeing we're being freed up uh, to to see God who as God is and to be redeemed um, by the true Redeemer. So. So keep that uh, in mind. The question uh, I want you to think about today is, what do we do with our darkest thoughts and desires? Um, some of you have come in today and you've, uh, you know, everything's cheery. It's, it's sunshine and bumblebees. Uh, for some of you, you know, there's, there's tumultuous things going on in our lives. Probably there's some people here who know people who are afraid to come to church because church is the place where everyone's happy and they're not and maybe you've, you've taken the step, you got gutsy, and you, and you came to church, even though when you look around, you're like, why is everyone here doing better than me? Um, I, I, I'm battling some very, very dark things, and I don't know what to do with them. This, um, I submit, is the psalm for you. So let's read it together. This is uh, my translation. I've adapted it um, primarily from the uh, Common English Bible, but also in, uh, in dialogue with the New King James and, of course, the, the Hebrew. So what I've tried to do is preserve the, the poetry of the text um, without, uh, without sacrificing it, the accuracy. So this is, I'm, I'm trying to get you some of the, the way it sounded or felt uh, to, to, it is, it's a, it starts out beautiful, and, and I, I hope that comes across in this translation. Um, Alongside Babylon's rivers, there we sat down, crying because we remembered Zion. We hung up our harps next to the willows there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested joyful songs. They said, sing us a song about Zion. 
But how could we possibly sing Yahweh's, the Lord's song, on foreign soil? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may I lose the use of my good hands. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you. If I don't prize you, Jerusalem, above my greatest joy. Pretty, right? Verse 7, Yahweh, remember what the Edomites did on Jerusalem's dark day. Strip her, strip her, right to her foundation, they yelled. Daughter Babylon, you destroy her. A blessing on the one who does to you what you did to us. A blessing on the one who seizes your children, your infants, and smashes them against the rock. As they say in uh, high church, the word of the Lord. It's incredible, um... I'd like to just fill out some of the history here. We, we know um, when, when this uh, text was, was, was composed. And um, I'd just like to show you here just from the text. Alongside the rivers of Babylon. If you're not familiar with um, the ancient Near East or really the, just the Middle East, uh, Jerusalem is like, is like over here, right? And uh, about 400, 500 miles almost due uh, east is Babylon. And you can't get there because there's a big desert. So you would travel like this way to get there. But what, what had happened is in 583 BC, the, the armies of Babylon had come in and they had sacked Jerusalem. They had sacked Israel. Uh, Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And, and many armies had gotten close uh, before 583 BC, but no one had ever breached uh, the, the, the walls and destroyed the temple. But in 583, this happened. And the Jews were, were, were gobsmacked. They couldn't believe it. In fact, we have um, some of their false prophets said things like, no one will ever uh, uh, come to Jerusalem and break it. God would never let that happen. The true prophets said, oh no, God will. And, and when he, and when he does, it's gonna be horrible. And it actually did happen. And so what, what, what they did is they came in, the, ba- the Babylonians came into Jerusalem, they sacked the city, uh, they actually gouged out the uh, eyes of the king, and they carted off all of the, um, sort of the officials and the royals and the upper class people and took them back to Babylon, some 500 miles almost, uh, due, uh, due east of Jerusalem. And, and if you know where Babylon is, there's a river, um, that, that comes on the west side of Babylon. It's called the Euphrates. And presumably one of the people who had been carted off years later is, is reflecting and thinking about that, composing this poem, and remembers a day, probably near to the time that they had just been uh, caught, when he's sitting there with um, his family, friends, and they're looking west towards Jerusalem. They can't see. It's hundreds of miles away, but they're looking there. They're on the, the banks of the river at Babylon, and they're, and they're remembering what it was like when they were home. They remembered Zion. Zion's just another word for Jerusalem. We hung up our harps next to the willows there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. So they're, they're sitting there and probably as a community, they began to sing some songs. Probably not uh, the worship songs that we looked at last week, but they began to sing songs. And the Babylonians came and they, they heard this. They heard the tumult. And so they came down and they started jeering, saying, oh, that's a good one. Why don't you sing us a song about Jerusalem, that place we nuked? That was great. Why don't you do that? Sing us a song about Zion. But how could we possibly sing the Lord's song, Yahweh's song, a song of worship in a foreign land? And so I have a picture, uh, an artist's rendering. This is a 19th century German-Jewish uh, painter, Eduard Bendemann. And I, I love the way that this captures it because notice that there, of the people here, there's only one person who actually remembers Jerusalem. 
And he's at the center. And you can see he's downcast, he's broken, he's shackled, and he's given up his harp. Um, it's probably been 20, 30 years since the sack of Jerusalem, since he was carted off. His children have no memory. They've grown up. They're sort of with dad, you know? But you can see that they, they, in, in, in detail, they don't remember what it was like to be free, to, to be in Jerusalem. They, they've lost that. That's gone for them. Only he remembers it. They, they mourn with him, but, but he, he's trying to keep the memory alive. And it's impossible because it's all been burned to the ground. And in the ancient world, you know, once your capital has been burned to the ground, once your temple has been burned to the ground, it's gone forever. And somehow this, this poet is trying to keep things alive. And you notice that uh, the, the, the language of memory and forgetting is so important to this text. Uh, if we go back, you can see it. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may I lose the use of my good hand. That's the right hand um, in the ancient world, everyone was right-handed. If you were left-handed like me, they tied it behind your back until you became right-handed, which is a, a form of slow torture, but that's okay. We're much more... Yes. Anyway, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you. You hear that? Remember. If I don't prize you, Jerusalem, above my greatest joy. You, you might think that's a little strange, like... Uh, you know, of the sort of curses that you could put on yourself. Losing, you know, the ability to use your hand, that seems like a strange curse. Or for having uh, your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth, that's really weird. Why would you, I mean, that doesn't seem like that bad. What's going on is uh, in the Hebrew, there's, um, there's alliteration going on. The word uh, for forget or don't remember is being repeated over and over and it has a sound to it. And so the poet's using imagery that, that, that echoes that. And so it's like, may I, uh, it would be like, and then may I, you can hear it over and over again. The idea is, when you're listening to it, the alliteration draws your mind back to forgetting, to remembrance. Over and over, you're hearing the echo of that word as you go through this text. The poem is designed to make you want, make you desire, make you, make you need to remember. It's art. It may be weird for us in the 21st century, but for ancient people and for ancient Israelites, worship was tightly tied to art. Like art, art artistic creativity and expression. It's the first thing in your note sheets. Um, art and worship go together. Uh, we've, we've lost a little bit of this. Maybe we've lost a lot of it. But it's very strange. Why, why, is, it, why is it so important? for art and, and worship to go together? Well, because worship, uh, by definition, is when we give all of ourselves to God. We say, God, I submit to you. I submit all of myself to you. You are God. I am me. And I want you to have everything. I acknowledge you and adore you with everything that I am. But of course, as you and I know, it's hard sometimes to access places in ourselves without the help of art. Art is, is a conduit of sorts. It's a, it's a way that we can get to emotions and deep feelings, deep experiences that are normally kind of, we, we kind of psychologically like push them off to the side. We compartmentalize them. And so art is a way that they're brought back in to our life. And if you really want to worship with your whole heart, if you want to worship with your whole person, the way that, that Israel worshiped, you worship with, uh, with art because it helps you access and create before God all of yourself. But that's not the interesting part of this text. Remember Yahweh. This is a prayer. 
It's a poem, but it's also a prayer. It was probably used, uh, probably not in temple worship services, uh, even when the temple was rebuilt. Probably used in uh, more private or less, more like small communities of worship. But this really was actually used uh, in worship. Um, can you imagine? Can you imagine Doug gets up there with a song? He's like, Lord, kill their babies. I mean, can you imagine how like shocking and weird that would be? Um, just because of... Well, we'll talk about it. But, but that's really what they did, uh, which is weird. But there you go. Remember what they did on the dark day. Uh, Edom was uh, in alliance with, with Babylon. So Babylon sort of had Edomite soldiers, and they were the ones who came through. And he says, strip her, strip her right to her foundation. Older translations uh, tend to cover up the uh, metaphor here. That word is really lay bare. So you might uh, read in the New King James, raise it or destroy it or tear it down. But uh, the poet is being very, very elusive here to a, a graphically violent sexual act. That's what's going on. Strip her, strip her to her foundations. Um, that's because in the ancient world, uh, soldiers, when they um, participated in conquering, it was expected, it was normal for them to um, not just pillage uh, stuff, but also uh, the, the women... Uh, of the place that they were conquering. And so the poet remembers, was, was there, was, was watching as uh, the women of Jerusalem were ravaged by Babylonian soldiers and, and, and brings that to the fore in the poem. Daughter Babylon, you destroyer, a blessing on the one who does to you what you did to us. What you did to us Older translations give you uh, what we have received, but really the meaning is, is very plain. It's the same things that happen to us, we want to have happen to you. And what specifically is that? Well, blessed is the one who dashes your babies against the rocks. That doesn't sound very Christian. The, uh, the poet is remembering... I mean, saw with his own eyes. Uh, the Babylonians come in and, and take uh, the children of Israel, the, the little ones, and murder them. The reason for that, of course, is because in the ancient world, uh, we, when you're conquering, you're, you're actually trying to, um, to eradicate people from the, from, from the world. You're trying to destroy them forever. Uh, and the way that you destroy a people forever, the way that you commit genocide, is to murder their children and to take their leaders away. Now, I want you to pause for a moment and consider the fact that this is in the Holy Bible. What's interesting is this is not the only psalm that's like this. There are actually quite a few, and uh, they're very long. Uh, This is the shortest one. That's why I chose it. But there are many uh, where things get really dark, really crazy, where things um, get kind of... I don't know, I mean, I don't want to say evil, Uh, I just want to say that this is real, right? This is real life. The Bible doesn't ask us to come in and put on our happy face and be like, woo-hoo-hoo. The the Bible asks us to come in as we are. And sometimes, in, in, in extreme circumstances, we come in with a lot of darkness inside of us. Some, some people are like, oh, well, uh, my darkness is too dark. I, I, I just can't. When you think that thought, remember, that there's a prayer in Scripture that begs God to murder children. And it's not a joke. That's what this person's crying out for. 
And that's in the scriptures so that you have permission. This is the next thing you know, she's. The Bible gives us permission to worship from a dark place. It does not matter how, where you've gone in, in your heart, in your mind. It doesn't matter where you are. God still expects and asks for you to worship as honestly and as really as you can. And you might wonder why. Why? Well, what happens when you don't? What happens when you just kind of shove it to the side? Or uh, worse, you, you say, um, I'm going to keep brooding on this, but it's certainly not something that's appropriate for, for church or for Christianity or for spirituality or for religion. It's not appropriate for that. It's just something I've got to deal with on my own. And, and, and you can see what happens when people do this. They naturally externalize. And I think I have some examples of what uh, people do here. I say Facebook, really Twitter, Instagram, all of the social media. I, have you ever seen a more um, vicious uh, display of interpersonal hatred than what you see on social media? I don't go on anymore because it's depressing. I see people that are in my family... Uh, telling people that I know that they should just and die. Cool. Because they've got no place to externalize, they've got no place to safely deal with the rage that's bubbling up and it's, it's tormenting them. Usually it's about politics, but it could be anything. Uh, in, in high school, I know that the teenagers deal with, with exclusion and, and, and hatred of people because they're different or whatever. But it, it, starts to, it starts to boil up and it starts to vomit out and then, then it just acid goes over the internet and, and destroys people's lives. Because there's no place to be dark except anonymous behind a keyboard. Uh, speaking of which, that's uh, the 4chan frog, Pepe the frog. If you're an adult, you probably don't know what 4chan is. Uh, 4chan's popular with um, especially very excluded and... Uh, and, and, and isolated kids. It's a message board where people will anonymously go on and post like their dark fantasies and really sick things. Um, and then other people will read these anonymous sick things and they'll be like, oh, that's super sick. You did a great job. And, and there's, a, there's a sort of feedback that goes on of, of hatred and, 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 and violence and sickness that people vomit out and then they're told that's good and it, and it encourages them. In fact, a lot of our, um, and you can see the, the kids fighting in school, I, I put them fighting because I didn't want to do um, what I'm really thinking about which is walk around with an AR-15 in high school. Uh, they, they, the, most of the kids that have been involved in school shootings we know had 4chan accounts, and they did spew violence and hatred and vileness all over the internet, and they, it was brought back to them, oh, good job, way to go, because they had no place to go. And then uh, this week, Anthony Bourdain killed himself, celebrity chef. Last week, it was Kate Spade. When the celebrities killed themselves, uh, that's when we started thinking about suicide. Because it gets reported, and it turns out that the tenth most common uh, way for an American citizen to die is by suicide. Because the darkness roils up within us, and it doesn't seem like there's a God who's big enough to handle it. I'm gonna um, go go back here for a second to the text. Perhaps the most shocking thing about the psalm for our contemporary sensibilities is the fact that it it really is a prayer. It's an earnest prayer for God's 
vengeance, God's viciousness. Daughter Babylon, you destroy a blessing on the one. I've capitalized one there because this psalm, like every psalm, is a prayer to God. It even says it right there in verse 7. Yahweh, I'm talking to you. Remember. And I'll bless you, God, on the day that you do to them what you did, they did to us. I'll bless you, God, when you allow or you cause someone to seize their children and dash them against the rocks like ours were. What does it mean that the Bible authorizes people to speak to God like that? What does it do? Let's just say that, let's just say that we, we actually, those of you who, are, who know someone or you personally are in an extremely dark place, let's just say that you began to do this. Why? Why does this, what, what does it do? What's the point? Why are we calling out to God and doing something you know, something vicious, something brutal. Well, I think because it, it, allows, it allows you to say, God, it's, it's on you right now. I need you to take it. It's, I think this is the next thing in your note sheets. Um, to let go. In dark worship, and I'm going to keep calling it worship. In dark worship, we give vengeance and rage and hate. All the darkest human emotions over to God so we can let go. We're, we're, we're in a place where we can say, God, I believe that you are big enough, that, and I, you're strong enough, and you love me enough, and you're redemptive enough, that you can take me here as I am in this extraordinarily dark place. And I can be brutal and honest, and I can give you up, up to you my darkest desires and my darkest thoughts, and, I, and, and you can handle them. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you say, God, it's yours, then, then you can begin to let go of them on your own. We know, um, we know. Uh, well, I know personally a number of uh, friends and and people in the church over the years who have um, dealt with some serious mental health issues, uh, PTSD. Um, I know some soldiers who've gone through serious post traumatic stress. I've heard some horrible stories of things that they either had to do or witnessed um, while serving in Afghanistan and Iraq. And one of the things that happens when they come back and they're trying to process this is first they hide it. Um, because to to acknowledge that this is what's going on inside of you uh, would be horribly embarrassing. But then when they when when things get so bad that they have to deal with it, one of the things that that's so important is for them to be in a safe place where they begin to confront and be honest and external and verbalize what's going on. And this is actually like the first step towards healing for people who are have have traveled to the darkest places. And, and what's sad is, what's sad, I think, is that um, that's usually outside of spirituality. It's usually done outside. Oh, go see a therapist, you know. And, and not, not knocking that, by all means, if, you, uh, if, you're, if you're struggling and you're damaged, you, you, please see a professional, by all means, absolutely. Um, but it, 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 it's sad that we've compartmentalized that in our culture. Uh, church is where we're happy because Jesus saved us. And, and the rest of life is taken care of by whoever. When what the Bible says is, is, is I want God to, God to be involved in that process. Dump it on him. If you're going to start to let go of it and confront it, let God be involved. Let him be the one who carries that burden. The burden of your hatred, the burden of your darkness. What do I have next? The, uh, the dark worship, the goal of dark worship, man. 
It's not just about us, though. Um, the goal of dark worship really gets summed up in the New Testament. And this is a text that we actually looked at a, a, a couple months ago. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <laughs> That's the old way. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know, in a lot of situations, we can do that. You know, when someone bothers us at school like they poke you in the head, or, you know, a work colleague who's just not that nice and disrespects you, yeah, okay, you go home and you're praying for your enemies. What happens, though? What happens, though, when the line is crossed? What happens when true sickness, true violence enters in to your life? Oh, I'm just going to... Uh, when we were talking about this uh, with the staff this week, I said, so imagine, you know, someone comes and does something really horrible to your family. I mean... What, you're just supposed to be like, oh, this is great. Thank you. I hope that you, I hope that you come to Jesus and, and, and are redeemed. Is that how human beings respond? Is that right? If you, if you felt that way after something terrible happened to your family because someone did that, would you be a good, normal, well-adjusted person? Or would we look at you and be like, something's wrong here? Instead, when those natural experiences happen, like, you get them out so that someday, far in the future, you can get to the place where, yes, you do actually love your enemy again. Because the first step is to, is to get the hate out. And then you can begin to move to the place where you can love. Uh, people are so excited about that, um, the Louis Zamperini, the unbroken. He's the guy who was, uh, he was, I think, a POW in World War II. He was tortured um, by the Japanese. He comes back, and then eventually he gets to the place where he forgives his captors. That's amazing. But don't miss the middle part where he was in a horrible, dark, awful place as he tried to come to terms with what had happened to him, what had been taken from him. And it really was the moment when he gave that over to Jesus that the real healing began. That's why the story is beautiful. Because someone was at the darkest, the lowest place, and their hate, their, 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 their darkness was given over, saying, God, I can't carry it anymore. I need you to, do, to, to take care of things. You do the vengeance. You do the violence. You take care of it so I don't have to. I don't want this responsibility. I can't deal with these thoughts. I want you to act on them. And if you choose not to, that's your prerogative. And if you do, I'll probably feel really good. Either way, God, it's up to you and not to me. And we can say that. We know uh, Paul says this in, in Romans. He says, my beloved friends, do not avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath. It's written, vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay. So you're sitting there and you desire vengeance. You desire rage. You desire darkness. And you say, God, you do it. You do it. And trust then that he will. Or he won't. But either way, it will be God who has done it and not you. You have submitted. You have said, I have let go. It's on your, it's in your, your park, God. You deal with it. And if you remember back, what worship is, is it's, it's really, it's when all of us have submitted before God. We give everything to God and say, God, it's on you. You're, it's yours. I, I submit it all to you. Even, even the deepest, darkest depths of the human experience. And that's why uh, this is an important thing on your note sheets. Dark worship is still worship.
it's really, it's very uncomfortable, uh, especially for, um, for those of us who live in, you know, the first world West. I tell you, it's not as uncomfortable for people who live in um, communities and societies where um, horrible violence is the norm. It's because we're so far away from it. It's because we've been so protected from it that it, the idea of, of calling out vengeance on someone uh, from God seems uncomfortable to us. And yet, it really is the, the first step to healing. And it's sad because there are actually people here, even in South Orange County, who are dealing with darkness all the time. And, and they've been systematically excluded from every other place in their life. They live lives of isolation and, and, and darkness, and, and there's nowhere for them to go. And, and I think what the scriptures are saying is like, no, 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 the place to be is here. Here is where we can carry that with you and we can hand it over to God. We can worship in a different way. You can engage a part of yourself that you didn't know you could. And God's big enough. He can handle it. He can redeem it. I just want to end with a couple of um, (laughs) some practical things that you can take home. Uh, I've had the students in the, uh, in, I, I've, I've done texts like this with our youth group before, and not this one, but similar texts. And um, they'll say things like, well, Tom, are you saying that we should, um, we should pray for the people that we hate to be punished and beat up by God? And I'll be like, okay, that's not ideal. That's not, I don't want you to end there. But if you need to, that's where you got to start. And that's okay. Um, so if you're, if you're a person who, uh, this is for everyone who, who, who needs to know about worshiping in the dark. Uh, the first is for people with purple hearts. Purple hearts in combat are handed to those who uh, are damaged, they are hurt. Uh, and if you think of life as, as a war, which I sometimes do, uh, then there are those of us who get wounded. And there are some here who have been deeply wounded by life. And you have a dark place that you're very well aware of and it's, it's isolated you, it's, it's broken you, and it's, and it's taken you out of a place of safety and, 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 and feeling of community here at the church. And if that's you, um, you have to pray these prayers. It's okay. It's not where I want you to end up. It's not where God wants you to end up. He wants you to love your enemies and forgive, but in order to get there, you've got to have a place where you get it out. And if you um, would like to talk about that, I would love to talk to you. You can always email me or call me, and I would love to sit down with you and, and maybe begin walking through that with you and also direct you um, to places where you can get also um, more professional uh, help for what's going on in, in the deep, dark places. Next, the suppressors. Some people uh, go through incredible trauma, and then they, uh, they put it in a box mentally, and they just kind of leave it off to the side, and things seem to go well. Um, I'm not going to say if you're, if things are okay and you've, you know, you've got something deep dark in the past and you've kind of like pushed it off the side and if it's not, you know, ruining anything, I'm not saying like rip off thing, let's delve into our childhoods and get all touchy feely. I'm not recommending that. But if you've put uh, your darkness off to the side and keeping it there costs you so much that it begins impacting the rest of your life and the people that love you, 
if, if, if holding it back and out of sight, out of mind is actually damaging you, um, then it might be time to begin scratching at, 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 that, um, at that itch. It might be time to, uh, to begin finding ways to expose it and, and to deal with it. And, and I believe that primarily worship and prayer is one of them. So if it's there, but it's not affecting you, I'm not saying you need to like go nuts. But if you're suppressing it and it's damaging you and the people that you love, please uh, come talk to me and we will begin. Number three. The creatives. This is an aside. Some of you uh, are just like, you're like, there's no place at church for me because um, I'm an artist. I imagine someday uh, I'm about to have a son. I imagine someday um, Soren, that's probably what we're going to call him, Soren coming up to me and being like, Dad, I figured out what I'm going to do with my life. I'm like, oh, what is it, son? Hedge fund manager? And he's like, he's like, he's like Dad, I want to be an artist. I'm like, dang it! Oh, are you kidding me? <sighs> Look, I'm not saving nearly enough for retirement. Soren is my retirement. So, so the whole art thing, what a disaster. If you've wasted your life by becoming an artist, um, there's hope for you. If you'll notice, these walls are plain. Um, <laughs> we, we've, got a, just a, we've got a teal map in the back of the, look at that. Just take a moment, check out the teal map. Just look at that. Really? Okay. Is that moving people to worship? Is that helping them engage uh, their like their deepest um, emotions? Doesn't have to be dark ones, but just just part of, of light and life. If I say I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say no. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's not. Uh, we desperately, um, in the 21st century church and here at Coast Bible Church, we need people who are creative to help us um, engage everybody else. We don't notice it, those of us who are not creative. We don't notice it, but creativity and art actually deeply impacts us and we don't realize it. So if you are a person who's got the creative itch, finally, fi- Brent. Not Brent, because he draws like weird stuff. Not, not you. You're not allowed. Uh, but there are others of you who are you know, actually talented, and you can participate. But here's, <laughs> I just, nah, seriously, don't even. Um, yeah, uh, cr- creatives, please come to me, and, and, and if you have ideas for ways to engage and, and to help others through your creativity access and worship in new ways and in different ways, to, I would love that. I would love that. I would do it, but it would, the only thing I know how to draw is like a two-dimensional handgun. I learned that in third grade, and that's where I peaked as an artist, and that's just not helpful. So, creatives, come, talk to me. Uh, Number four, the wallowers. If you're like the person who just likes to sit in your bitterness and anger and darkness and just feed on it, no, that's not the point. You're you're not supposed to just have a lifetime of asking God to murder your enemies. That is not how this works. You do that at the beginning, and then you get out of it, and you heal. That's the goal. So if you're, like, taking this as an opportunity to just vomit on people with your, your sickness. No, that's not where we're going. Last but not least, and probably the most important, the undamaged. If you're an, uh, this is how you can tell if you're an undamaged person. You're listening to all this and you're like, this is nonsense. Like, are you serious? Really? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pray to God to, to kill our enemies? Come on. That's silly. That's, that's nonsense. Like, buck up, camper. If that's your response, I want to suggest just throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out. You can send it right back. That's okay. 
But I want to suggest that maybe life hasn't stabbed you hard enough yet. Maybe you've been really blessed with what you've experienced. Maybe there are people around you who have gone to places that you just can't imagine. I am begging you, if you were undamaged, to open up empathy, to give people the benefit of the doubt, a second chance. Um, don't immediately jump to, oh, this person is just, you know, whatever. Instead, maybe, just possibly, there are people out there who've experienced things like what the psalmist has experienced here in Scripture, who have gone through roads that you think, of course, it would never happen to you, but, but honestly, but for the grace of God, it probably could have. And if you're undamaged, I'm asking you to, to offer patience and empathy for those who are walking a darker road. Let's pray. Gracious God, um, you are God over um, all things. You are the highest God. And you are Lord even over uh, the darkest, um, sickest, most corrupted places in human hearts. You're not just God over that, but you're also the God who, who comes to us in Christ, who comes to us in your spirit to heal and to redeem that. God, I pray a prayer over anyone here today who is battling darkness of whatever sort, who, who's been to uh, the dark places and, and those have, have, have clawed uh, into his or her or their hearts. God, I ask um, that they would open up to you in dark worship and hand over um, those feelings and experiences to you. God, for those uh, who, who don't know and, and haven't experienced, I pray that um, we will be people of love, that we'll be people of compassion, who are moved um, to care, moved uh, to love those who are in hard places, not to judge first, but uh, to love first. May uh, this congregation, committed as we are to your scriptures, be a place of healing and redemption uh, for all who come in our doors. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.